You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So today we're finishing up our series in 1 Peter, and it's been a good series for me personally. Uh, just good, a good reminder for me, and I hope it's been good for you as well. I hope it's been helpful. Um, and if you've enjoyed First Peter, I would encourage you, in this, this next fall, we're going to get into Second Peter. So we're going to walk through Second Peter 1, 2, and 3 together in the same way that we're going through First Peter. And so it'll be a nice companion piece for this one as well. So I would encourage you to be, be on the lookout for that this fall. Um, but in First Peter, he is writing to the persecuted church. Uh, the Christians that are worshiping in what is today Northern Turkey. There were three areas specifically that he was talking to, but really it's for the persecuted church in general. And they were struggling under the weight of this persecution because of their faith, because of what they professed. uh, The world was antagonistic toward them. And I think this is a good reminder for us because even today in the world we live in, in the United States, um, we can say it's a Christian nation all we want, but it really is not much of a Christian nation because most, much of the world is antagonistic toward believers of Jesus Christ, at least believers who have biblical values. And some of you feel that pressure. You feel that pressure at work. You feel that pressure in the community because you profess faith in Jesus. Um, you are looked at differently. You, you might be um, discriminated to some degree or another against. So, so what does that mean for us? How do we live with some degree of persecution in our lives? And let me make this clear. The persecution that the American church is enduring is nothing compared to what Christians around the world struggle with and deal with. Because in places like Iran or China or Pakistan, um, all throughout the Middle East, uh, it is illegal to worship Jesus in some of those places. It's illegal to worship publicly. Um, you, you could be killed for converting to Christianity. And so the persecution we deal with in the United States is light compared to much of the persecution in the world. But with that said, there's still persecution. And not to be a naysayer, I firmly believe the persecution of the American church will get worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, And (laughs) that's not a bad thing. Because historically, when persecution rises, uh, so does the church of Jesus. So when persecution is elevated, um, an authentic witness is elevated as well. And this sounds terrible, but the people who have authentic faith, their faith is on display. And the people who don't have authentic faith fall to the wayside. And so it makes us a little nervous to talk about persecution in the United States, uh, persecution of Christians. But I believe that as the pressure comes against the Christian church, um, the bride of Christ will rise like never before. That the light of Christ will be displayed through the persecution like never before. And that's one of the reasons why when Peter talks about persecution and he talks about in such glowing terms in some ways, it doesn't make sense to us, but this is what he understands. The kingdom will advance in the face of persecution if we will um, resign ourselves to it, if we will submit ourselves to it and trust God through it. That was a side note. That was some bonus coverage for you. The other services didn't get that. So we walked over the last few weeks, chapter one, two, three, four, and today we're in chapter five. In chapter one, we talked about how we as human beings focus on the temporary instead of the eternal. And that's one of the reasons we struggle with persecution because all we see is the pain. We don't see the eternal glory of what God wants to do. We talked in week two about Jesus being our chief cornerstone, that he is the foundation for our lives. He is the objective standard for our lives. And we talk in our world about no objective truth, but I will tell you there is an objective truth and it is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That Jesus is the objective standard for our life. That in Jesus Christ, we have new identities. That we, you and I, are royal holy priests in Christ Jesus. Because of that, we have a new identity. We're not who we were. We're not what we used to do. We are new in him. Um, 
week three, a couple weeks ago, we just talked about how in the face of persecution, we worship, that, that this is what we should do, that fear and worship cannot coexist together, that when we worship, our fear decreases, and when we are fearful, when we focus on our, what we're afraid of, our worship decreases. Last week, Kim did a wonderful job preaching the word while I was away, and she talked about this big idea that suffering is normal, but Jesus is good. That suffering is guaranteed in this world, that persecution is guaranteed in this world if you have authentic faith in Jesus Christ. It's going to happen, but Jesus is good. So we wanna jump into chapter five today. So in 1 Peter chapter five, verse one, it says this, it says, and now a word to you who are elders in the church. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. And let me pause there before we get into verse two. So he says, I am an elder. I have been a witness to the suffering of Jesus. And Peter literally was a witness to the suffering of Jesus. So he's addressing the elders, a word to you who are elders. So what does that mean? Well, the word for elder here in the Greek is presbyteros. And presbyteros is where we get the word uh, like the Presbyterian church or presbyters in church context. Uh, But it it literally means elders. Um, And so that's why it's translated this way. And it can be an elder in two ways. It can be an elder of age. So the older of two people is the elder or it could also be an office in the church. So uh, in the first century church, an elder would be considered what we would call pastors today. Um, Elders were the ones who were taking care of the church, who were preaching, who were doing spiritual ministry. That's what they were doing. Uh, And today that's what we ask pastors to do for the most part, what elders were doing in the first century church. And so the question is, is Peter talking about In this verse, is he talking about older people in the church or is he talking about pastors? And the answer to me is yes. (laughs) He's talking about both. He's not just talking about one or the other because there's some implications that he's talking about pastors, but that doesn't let you off the hook because you're not a pastor. But then he also indicates that he is an elder because he's witnessed the suffering of Jesus. So what he's saying is, I've, I'm, I've been alive long enough to see the suffering of Jesus. So we have these dual meanings of this word here as we navigate what he's talking about. So he says, I wanna address the elders. And then he says, I appeal to you as a fellow elder. In verse two, he says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. So let me start with this. I'm gonna, we've got a pastor's network called Back 40. It's a rural pastor's network. And uh, we've got our Back 40 conference coming up in August. And I will address pastors and I will preach to some pastors there. But, but let me just say this briefly. Um, there are some pastors who get into ministry for the wrong purposes, the wrong motivation. And their motivation sometimes is selfishly motivated because they are good communicators because they're good with people. And, um, and sometimes pastors can be a little narcissistic because it can be about them. And so if you're bent that way, ministry is a good way to make a few dollars, if I'm just gonna be totally honest. And so there are some pastors that function that way. There are some leaders that function that way. It's about them and what they can get. It's not really about serving, blessing, helping, that kind of thing, empowering people. Uh, There are also some pastors sometimes who get into ministry for the right reasons, but somewhere along the way, our hearts get bitter. Our hearts get a little jaded because um, pastors, pastors sacrifice a lot. Um, Pastors lay down a lot. There's a lot of things they can't do. There's a lot of things they're expected to do. And somewhere along the way, I've seen pastors who have grown cold in their hearts toward God and toward people. And somewhere along the way, it's easy for us to start justifying things. It's easy for pastors to start saying, well, I've sacrificed so much, I deserve. Well, I, I, I should have this. I deserve this, whatever it might be, because we sacrifice. And that's what we're called to do as pastors is to sacrifice. So if we're not careful, it can become about us. But this isn't just for pastors. He says, care for the flock that God has entrusted you. And you will know that's talking about pastors. That's literally what pastor means, right? To lead to a pasture. It's talking about being a shepherd. Well, let me help you. Again, he's not just talking about pastors. He's talking about elders. 
So people who are older, and you're like, well, Mel, I'm good. I don't have people that God has entrusted to me as an older Christian, really. Maybe your family. Maybe, maybe it's a small group, a formal small group in our church. Maybe it's a ministry team that you serve with. Those are all people that have been entrusted to you. You go, well, I'm not their pastor. No, but you're an older member of that group that you can speak into them. Here, here's the thing. I didn't realize this till recently. I'm older. I know. I don't look it, but apparently I am. I found out. I spend some time with, with IUP students, and, um, and I think we're peers. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. What's up, cool guys? And they're like, oh, my gosh. Because I'm not cool, and I'm definitely not young. And I, I'm, I hang out with some of these 18, 19, 20, 22-year-olds, and I realize I am old enough to be their dad, right? Makes me feel old. And what I've realized is, um, even if they don't come to our church, I have an influence in their life. I am an elder, and I have a responsibility to care for the people that God has given me influence over. That I have a flock, whether they're part of our church, or part of SCA, or they're part of um, uh, my chapel that I lead for for IUP baseball, whether they're part of that or not, I have a responsibility as an elder to them. Now, what happens so many times in local churches is, and I've had this conversation with people where I will talk to somebody who maybe is one of our veterans. They've been around a while. Is that a nice way of saying that? And I'll say, hey, I've noticed you don't serve with this group anymore. How come? Well, pastor, I've done my time. Oh, it's, I have, I have served and I did that for a lot of years. It's somebody else's turn now. I'm like, oh gosh, I, I don't think that's what the Bible says. You know, I've, I've served, it's, it's time for somebody to take care of me now. It's like, oh gosh, can you imagine Jesus saying those words? Like, you know what, I've done a lot for you people. Now it's time for me to get mine, Right? It's like, ah, I don't think that makes sense because Jesus actually said, hey, the son of God came to serve and not be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when we say things like, I've done my time, what we're really saying is, I'm finished with the serving stuff. Hey, there are people, even though I'm an elder, that are in my care because I can influence them, but I'm not going to do that because it just takes too much work. What do you think our Heavenly Father thinks about that? You think he's like, yeah, you're right. Do we think there's an expiration date on our influence? Like, okay, well, once I hit this age, then I don't have to do anything anymore because I'm not influential. Now it's time for me. It's like Social Security, right? You pay in and pay in and pay in. And then it's like, now give me my money, right? That's what we think of in the church. I've paid in, now it's time for me to get mine. And that is not how this works. In the kingdom of heaven, if there is breath in your lungs, there is something else for you to do for God's glory. There is no room for any of us to say, I'm done, it's somebody else's turn. That is not how this works. See, your responsibility and my responsibility is to contribute and not just consume. And when we shift from being contributors to consumers, that's when our walk with Christ is tenuous. That's how so many of us live. <laughs> We're, it's about us and getting the songs we like and hearing the message that made me laugh. And well, I like this preacher better. I like this preacher better. But the reality is God's called us to serve. And here's the thing, we say this to our teams, but we get to serve. It is a privilege for us to serve. It's, it's not just a responsibility, like, okay, I gotta check this box, but we get to serve. We get to bless other people. You, you'll hear a story before too long, but there's a, a couple in our church that, um, that <laughs> it's a long story, but basically I said, 
hey, why don't you guys get involved? And they said, okay. And they came back afterwards and they were like, we love serving in kids' church. And I was like, really? <laughs> yes, it's awesome, thank you. Awesome. Have you gotten plugged into a small group? We love our small group. And it was like this light bulb went on for them, like, oh, that stuff you've been saying, it's true, right? Oh, that's right. Because it's true. We're made for community. We're made to serve others and bless others. That's what God is inviting us into. We get to do it. We don't have to do it. So he says, no matter who you are, it's your responsibility. And then he says this about those that are in influential positions, whether it's by age or office. He says in verse three, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you'll receive a crown of never ending glory and honor. See, he says, when we have authority, sometimes we want glory now, so we lord it over people. But he says, if you will be humble and delay glory, God will glorify you someday if you'll humble yourself now. So he says, if you have authority, if you have influence, don't lord it over people. So I was, um, when I was in high school, I played basketball and I played, um, my, my sophomore year, I made the varsity squad. And this is a big deal, it was a big school. I never got to play. I was not, I was not gifted in basketball, which might surprise you because you look at me and you'd assume that I am a high caliber Olympic level athlete. I'm not, I'm not, I'm sorry. Um, but I played basketball and as a sophomore on the varsity squad, I was the lowest man on the totem pole. And my responsibility was to carry the bags of the seniors on the squad. And so I, they, they didn't even ask, they just, assumed I would because they were in authority and I was not. And so I, I, my job was to carry their bags uh, to and from games or road trips. I would carry their bags. I was responsible for them. So I would get off the bus. They would get off and, you know, not carrying anything, just walking off the bus. And I would get off and I'd look like a pack mule carrying all the stuff, like struggling to get down the steps with these like six bags I was carrying. It was just assumed, this is what you do. And this is what the way the world works. The world says, I'm an authority, you serve me. Hey, I'm a senior, you're a sophomore, you're gonna take care of me. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 this isn't how it works. That's how it works in the world. But among you, it will be different. If you wanna be great, you have to be the least. If you wanna be the, the leader, you have to be the servant. And this is what Peter's talking about. Peter says, hey, if you have authority, you don't lord it over the people. You, you serve them humbly. You humble yourself before them. You take care of them. You lead them by a good example. And what we see, we've already mentioned humility and humbleness a couple times, but this is gonna be a key throughout this chapter, that humility is a key to good leadership and influence. The most influential leaders are the ones that typically are the most humble. I didn't say this in the earlier services, but a few weeks ago, I, I got to meet a CEO of a local bank, and some of you work for this bank, um, First Commonwealth, and we spent about half an hour together, and we just chatted, and I talked to somebody later, a mutual friend, and they said, hey, what'd you think? And I said, you know what? For being the CEO of a major corporation, he was so low-key and so humble and just a regular guy, and I was like, I like that guy. I don't, I'm not impressed by important people, I'm impressed by important people who don't act like important people. I'm not impressed by rich people. I'm impressed by rich people who don't act like rich people. Does that make sense? And God is not impressed by our titles or authority. He's impressed when we don't act like we have titles or authority. He goes on to say in verse five, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble in Proverbs 3.34. So he quotes Proverbs 3.34 here, but he says, hey, just like the older ones, the elders are supposed to humble themselves and aren't supposed to lord their authority over the younger ones. He says, hey, you younger ones must accept the authority of the elders. And this is kind of a callback to week two when Peter said in chapter two, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. He's talking about submission. And here again, he's talking about submission. And he says, hey, those of you who are younger, submit to the, your elders, submit to the people that are older than you. And I don't know about you, uh, my parents, they went through some sort of like transformation in my life. Uh, when I was a teenager, my parents were maybe the dumbest people in the world. They were so unintelligent and so backwards 
And then somehow, I don't know if they read a book or like watched a video, but then they got smarter as I got older. It was crazy. Like, I don't know if there was a class that they went to. Obviously, this is tongue in cheek. My mom's watching and she'll kill me if I don't fix this. But, (laughs) but they did not change. They did not get smarter. I got smarter. See, when I was younger, I thought I was so smart. I thought I was so wise. I thought I had all the answers. I can't believe somebody let me be a youth pastor at a church when I was 22 years old. What in the world were they thinking? Because I look back now and I think I was an idiot. I had no idea what I was doing. I was so dumb, but I thought I was smart. And that is the dumbest kind of people. Dumb people who think they're smart are way dumber than dumb people, by the way. Just run of the mill dumb, I can live with that. Oh man, I was a special kind of dumb, okay? I didn't know. I thought I was smart. I had no idea. And part of that was my pride. I, didn't, I lacked humility. And Peter's speaking directly against this. And he says, hey, you who are younger, accept the authority of those who are your elders. You might disagree with them, but seek to honor God. And as you do, God will be glorified. In first, I'm, I'm sorry, in verse six, it says this. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You know what, let me back up. Let me back up. In verse five, um, how we do this, how do we humble ourselves around the people around us? This is how we do it. It says, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. Dress yourself in humility. So um, this weekend, yesterday, uh, some of you might've had some limbs down or trees down on your property. There's crazy amounts of wind. And Kim was off. She was in the South side of Pittsburgh and she texted me and said, hey, there's a tree on mom's house. So her mom um, moved here and she's away right now, but her mom moved here and has a house. And she texted me a picture and I was like, oh, that's a tree on the house. I don't think that's supposed to be there, right? And so I ran over there because I didn't know it was this tree on her property or the neighbor's property. And so I ran over there, checked, looked at everything. And uh, I rang the doorbell of the neighbor. I just bing, bing, bong, and she came to the door. And as soon as she did, like she opened the door and was like, oh, oh, hi there, it's good to see you. You know, like she immediately was like, oh my gosh, what do I look like? I didn't think anything of it, like no big deal. It's a Saturday morning, she's wearing sweatpants. That's what you're supposed to wear on a Saturday morning from what I understand, right? And so she comes out and we're talking and I didn't think anything of it. And then she finally goes, listen, I've got this stain because my daughter spilled this on me earlier and I've got this because, and she starts describing what's wrong with her outfit. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't care. Like, I don't care, I, I promise. I didn't even think anything of it. And she was like, no, I, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But in her mind, she was thinking, uh, I am conscientious of the way I'm clothed. I was not clothed for this conversation, right? Like I was not prepared to have this interaction right now. And so she was explaining the way she was clothed. She was conscientious of her clothing. And here's what Peter says to us that is so important for us to understand. When it comes to our interactions with others, we need to clothe ourselves appropriately. We need to be conscientious of the way we're clothing ourselves. And what he says is, clothe yourself with humility. So when it comes to my interactions with the people around me, I need to be conscientious of what I'm wearing. I need to be able to go, okay, am I wearing the right things right now? And the right things are humility. Am I approaching this conversation with my wife with humility? Am I approaching this conversation with our board or with our staff with humility? Am I approaching this conversation with my neighbor with humility? Or is it with pride? Because humility makes everything better. Humility facilitates healthier relationships in our lives if we will submit ourselves to being clothed in the right way. Let me move on, verse six. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. And this is one of the problems with our pride. Our pride tries to elevate us before God is ready to elevate us. See, we don't trust God and we go, we've got to tell people how good we are. We got to demonstrate how awesome we are, how much authority we have, how knowledgeable we might be. So we try to do that. And the problem is God's timing is better than our timing. And I'm so grateful now that God didn't elevate me when I was younger for some different things in my life because I wasn't ready. I thought I was, because remember, I thought I was smart. So God, give me this. And God's like, I can't give you that 
because it will ruin you. Your character can't support the platform you are asking for. So I'm not about to give you that platform because it will ruin you. And see, sometimes we ask God for things and we try to promote ourselves in ways and God says, I'm not promoting you yet. You are not ready for that yet. So trust me, in due time, I will lift you up. But in the meantime, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Verse seven, give all your worries to God, all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. All your worries and cares because he cares about you. Verse eight, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Uh, I want you to hear this. Our enemy, the devil, is real and he is powerful. I am no match for the devil in and of myself. I'm not talented enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not pious enough, none of those things. But it's not about my strength, it's about God's strength in me. So, So what do we do? Well, verse nine says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. We stand firm against the schemes of the enemy, because the enemy has schemes for you. Just like God has good plans for you, the enemy has schemes for you. The enemy has those schemes, and what do we do? We stand firm in the face of those schemes, and we stand firm in our faith. Our faith is what roots us and anchors us. Our faith is what allows us to be strong. It's not your own ability. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. I don't know about you, when I, when I suffer, I feel like I'm alone. Uh, a few years ago, when my, when my dad passed, my sister and I both have a great relationship with my dad, and, um, and it was good for me to have my sister that we could mourn together, we could grieve together through this process. But it still felt isolating because my sister's relationship with my dad was different than mine, just because we're different people. And so there were still times, although we could share some of our grief, it still felt isolating. I still felt alone. I still felt like nobody really sees what I'm going through or dealing with. And it was important for me to understand that in the midst of my grief, I'm not alone. I feel alone, but I'm not alone. That that text messages from people saying, hey, I was thinking about you today. Once in a while, somebody will still text me on Father's Day. Hey, I was thinking about you today. And I don't need that, but it's nice to see those things and go, oh yeah, I'm not alone. We all need that. And here Peter is is cognizant of that. He's aware of that. And he says, hey, you're struggling in your persecution. You're struggling in this moment, but just know that there is a family of believers all over the world who are going through the same thing you're going through. You are not suffering alone. You're not alone in your struggles. Verse 10. In his, kind, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Uh, I, this is a verse that I learned when I was reading the English Standard Version. I just prefer that version as I'm walking this out with you. So let me read the ESV to you. Same verse. It says this. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So he said, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory, will restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. This word grace here, um, it is a broad word. It can have different different meanings depending on its context. Um, The the Greek word is charis, is the way you'd pronounce it. But it, it, it means grace. Um, and it can be, it can be the, the goodwill of God toward us is grace, is his favor. Uh, it can be what's produced from grace in our lives can be considered grace. It, it can be the, the reward of heaven is grace because we don't earn salvation. It is a free gift from God. And because I haven't earned it, I don't deserve it. Heaven is a gift. It is a grace to us. So we see this and it says, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory. You know, God isn't stingy with his grace. James chapter four, verse six says, he gives grace generously as scripture says. And then he quotes Proverbs three thirty four, just like Peter does. 
God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humility is a key to God's grace in our lives. If we want, if we want grace, if we want favor, humility is a key. It's important for us to humble ourselves before the Lord. And one of the things we see in this passage, it says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. This is a good indicator for us because I want you to hear this. God's grace is not for your comfort. When God gives you grace, it is not for your pleasure or for your enjoyment. God's grace always leads to God's glory. God's grace is given to us in our lives so that God's glory can be displayed through our lives. It's important for us to understand the purpose of God's grace. What are we really after? Are we really after God's glory being manifest in our lives or are we really after just being comfortable? God, I'm suffering, I need your grace so I can be more comfortable. It's like morphine, right? It's like a drug when we're going through surgery, like give me the drugs, right? I don't wanna feel my pain. And that's what we're asking God for. God, just give me what I need so I can get through this painful situation. But we don't even know what we need. We think we need relief, but that's not it at all. What we need is God himself. Come back to that idea in a moment. The God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. What does God do? He restores you. The word here for restore is katarizo, and it means to make whole. And so um, I was talking to somebody before the service, and we were talking about restoring an old car, an old truck. And, and sometimes when we think of being restored, we think about like putting things back the way they belong. Uh, and, and really, when you look at this word katarizo, it means to make whole. So what it means is uh, things, something was broken, and now it is whole again. It's no longer broken. But our minds, we immediately assume that means it's going to be put back to its original condition. And I want to help you with this. That is not what that means. What it actually means is it will be whole, but it may be different than it was before. See, some of you have been praying, God, restore my marriage. And, and God wants to take the broken pieces. And he wants to put them back together, but it might not look like it did before. And maybe that's what you think is best, but maybe you don't know what's best. So maybe God wants to take those pieces, take these broken pieces and make them whole, but it's going to look different than it did before. God, restore my heart. My heart is broken over the situation. Maybe God wants to do a new work in your heart, but he still wants to make you whole where you won't be fractured or incomplete. The second thing he says is God himself will confirm you, storizo. Storizo means uh, to render constant. And it's, it's implied that it's talking about our mind. And in the world we live in today, our minds are not constant. They're anything but constant. Because the news, what we read, what we hear, we have short attention spans. So we're constantly jumping from one thing to the next. We, we're people that are racked with anxiety and fear in the world we live in today. Our minds are not constant, but what, God, what Peter says is God will, by his grace, make our minds constant. He will confirm our minds so that we can be steady in what we think, what we believe, how we feel. This is what God is after. He goes on to say that he will strengthen you. There's nothing tricky here. It just means to make strong. God wants to make you strong. You think you're weak, and this is the good news. When you're weak, then you're strong because God's strength shows up on the scene. When we acknowledge our weakness, when we can humbly say, God, I can't do this, but I know you can, God goes, well, let me show you, I got this. I've been waiting for you to ask. Get out of the way and let me take control. That's when we're strong. This is an end establish you. Uh, this word, it's temaleo, and it means to make stable. And it's talking about our steps. One of the reasons I don't love winter in Pennsylvania is because of ice. Um, we've got this spot by our garage. So um, we've got a little drip when the when it warms up and then when it freezes that that spot will freeze up and you don't even see it and so i've fallen there a couple of times because i'll take the dog out and we'll go around this little corner and i will i will assume that my footing is firm but it in fact is not firm i'll assume where i'm stepping is secure and it is not in fact secure and i go down hard okay it is not like this graceful little fall like woo i tumble and i make it like 
I land, you know, like that's not how it happens. I wipe out and then I do what every human being does when they wipe out. I don't assess my injuries first and foremost. I've broken my spine and I'm still looking to make sure nobody saw me, right? That's my biggest concern. So I, then I assess my injuries. Okay, okay, in, injuries, I'm all right. I'll be okay. And then I think, I wonder if the ring doorbell picked that up because my girls are gonna put that on social media somewhere, right? So what happened? Well, I assumed my footing was firm and it was not. And we live our lives this way with this confidence, this lack of humility, this, this confidence in ourselves that I've got this and I can take the next step and I can go, and my footing is sure. And then we find ourselves wiped out financially, relationally, whatever it might be. And we're like, how did I get here? And the way we got there is we thought our footsteps were firm and they were not. We assumed something, we assumed we knew and we didn't. And this is what Peter says, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself establish you. He will make your steps firm. And we see this over and over in scripture. The steps of the righteous are ordered by God. They're directed by God. That God will make our paths straight when we fear him and love him. He will make our steps firm. This is what he does. This is who he is. He says in verse 11, all power to him forever, amen. And this is just a great reminder for us to say, I don't have power. You don't have power. All power belongs to him. And he says in verse 12, I've written and sent this short letter to you with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. And he's talking about the, Silas was also a companion of Paul. Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas imprisoned. They worshiped their way in prison. The, the door fell off, the chains fell off. They were set free by their worship. Uh, God did the work. Anyway, that's another story for another day. You can read it if you'd like. But Silas is the one who probably wrote 1 Peter, but Peter dictated it to him. Then in 1 Peter 5, 12, it says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you're experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. So he says, I'm writing to you for two reasons. Number one, to encourage you. I wanna encourage you. I know you're suffering and I wanna encourage you. But the second reason I'm writing you is to, to let you know that what you're experiencing is part of God's grace for you. that your suffering is actually part of God's grace for you. This is not easy. Because if I just pulled the room and if I asked Blairsville, there'd be lots of suffering in this place. And what if I said, this is God's grace to you? We'd struggle with that idea. We'd struggle with the idea that if, if God really loved me, how would God allow this to happen? See, remember one of the definitions of this word grace is favor. And this is, this is actually the word that I think would be used here more specifically. That what you're experiencing is truly part of God's favor for you. And it's hard for us to reconcile this idea how could God favor me if this is happening in my life? But I, I want you to do me a favor and you can Google um, Christian persecution and just pull up some stories, pull up some, some news stories, some videos, and you will find people in persecuted areas, underground churches, and they will talk about their suffering and they will never complain. You'll never hear him say, this is so hard. I'm thinking about giving up my faith. I'm not even sure this is worth it. They all talk with joy about what they're experiencing. Hey, this is what happened. Hey, my, my pastor was imprisoned. Hey, this happened. My brother was killed, but it's worth it. And we look at that as spectators and go, how is that worth it? And it's because they understand something we fail to recognize. It's that God's favor is about God's presence. In Isaiah 66, it says, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And this is what God is saying. He said, these are the people who receive my favor. The people who live this way. 
with humility and a contrite spirit, and they, they fear God. And this is what he's saying, and this is what we need to understand. God's favor rests on those who favor God. We want the favor of God? I got good news for you. All you need to do to get the favor of God is to favor God. Here's the problem. We want the favor of God without favoring God. God, I want you to do this stuff for me. I want you to take this pain away, but I'm not gonna favor you. You're not my favorite. God, I like you a lot. You're up there, but you're not my favorite. But God, I still need you to give me everything I need. And God is not, God is not a cosmic vending machine. It's like, oh, I'm going through some suffering. What am I looking for? Okay, I need some favor of God. What does it cost me? Church attendance, there it is. Put it in and get out the favor of God. All right, we're good. It's not how this works. See, we want the favor of God, but we don't favor God. And what we have to understand is that the favor of God is not about what he can do for us. It's about him being with us. See, if I told you, um, hey, I've got a favorite daughter, but I'm not gonna tell you which daughter it is. You've gotta figure it out. You know how you would figure it out? You'd look at my behavior. You'd go, well, who are you spending the most time with? That's probably who you favor, right? Who are you, who are you blessing? Who are you, right? And this is the same with our heavenly father. It, it is not about what God can give us. It's about his presence and his attention and him being with us. That is the favor of God. See, this is, this is summed up with this idea. We will suffer. It is guaranteed. You cannot escape it in this world. Doesn't that bless you? Aren't you glad you came to church today? But the promise is this, that for those of us who, who God has captured our hearts, we can have the favor of God. And what that means is we've got the presence of God with us. Yes, we will suffer. Yes, we'll go through persecution. But the God of the universe will be with us in our suffering the whole time. That's the promise we have. It's not that your life is gonna be perfect. You're never gonna have problems. It's that in, in spite of your problems, God is with you. How do we gain the favor of God? By favoring God. God, you are my primary affection. You're my primary love. You are first and foremost among everything else. God, you're not second to my job. You're not second to my esteem. You're not second to my family. You're not second to anything else. You are my favorite. And he wraps up the letter with these two verses. Verse 13, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings and so does my son Mark. He's talking about the church in Rome that he calls it Babylon. There's a few different reasons why he might've done that. And he says, so does my son Mark. This isn't his actual son. Um, John Mark was a spiritual son. He also traveled with Paul for a while. He was a cousin of Barnabas. And then he says in verse 14, greet each other with a kiss of love. Peace be with you all who are in Christ. Greet each other with a kiss of love. Now, let me help you with this. He's not saying we're gonna get rid of meet and greet time and now it's, right? <laughs> not that kind of church. So what we're saying. But what he's saying is show affection to each other. Don't treat each other like strangers. Treat each other like somebody you love somebody that you are sharing your life with, like a brother or sister? How weird would it be if I saw my sister and I was like, oh, hello, nice to see you. Be like, wait a second, you're, you're family? Yeah, but you don't treat her like family. And that's the way we treat each other sometimes. Like, I'm a hugger, I want a hug. Like, we're family, let's treat each other like family. Family should be warm and welcoming and friendly and loving. We should treat each other like family. And then it says, peace be with all of you who are in Christ. It says, peace be with all of you who are in Christ. And this is the key to this whole thing. Who are in Christ. See, none of this matters if you're not in Christ. What a great way to, to finish this letter by reminding us the most important thing in our lives is that we are in Christ that Christ is in us. 
that, that persecution is going to come. But if I am in Christ and Christ is in me, then I can endure anything that God has called me to do. There is nothing I can't do that God has called me to do if Christ Jesus is in me. Is it because of me? No, it's because of Christ in me. Peace be with you all who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, I'm gonna turn over to Pastor Colin in Blairsville. He's gonna give you a chance to respond and close out the rest of our time together. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So today, I just wanna give you a chance to respond because maybe you're here and you recognize you're not really in Christ. Maybe you recognize you're, you're very religious, you know all the things, you know all the stuff you're supposed to do, but the, the reality is you don't favor God. He's not your primary affection. He's not your favorite. And that's okay. There's no condemnation today. I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to feel guilty, but I want you to know there's a better way. Today, Christ is here and he's ready to welcome you and receive you. You can become a son or daughter of God today. In fact, when you do it, scripture says that they have a celebration in heaven. They have a party in heaven. They're waiting right now. They are looking down. They're looking down with anticipation about what's about to happen. So I don't want you to feel any fear or any shame or any condemnation because I really believe that in this moment, this holy moment, God wants to do something special. So I just want to pray for you. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all this place. God, thank you for loving us like you do. God, I'm so sorry that we take it for granted, that we overlook your grace and your mercy and your love, that, that God, so many times we don't come to you until we're in the middle of some suffering, something that feels overwhelming, and that's when we cry out to you. So God, I, I'm sorry that too often I've treated you as a last resort. God, I pray that that wouldn't be the case for us, that God, you would be my favorite, that you would be my top affection, that every person in this place, God, we would pray that prayer and say, you are my top affection, more than my family, more than my job, more than my, my reputation. None of those things matter except for you. And God, I pray as we favor you, we would find your favor. So God, minister in us and through us. I pray for those today that, that recognize they're not walking with you. They're not in relationship with you. Let today be the day that they surrender at all. That it's not just about what they can get from you, but it's about just being with you. So God, I pray you minister in this place. Change our hearts, make us different. Now with nobody looking around, with your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not serving God. I know I'm not serving God, but I wanna be. I wanna surrender my life to him today. I need, I need a savior. I need the favor of God. And I know I can only find that by favoring God. So today I, I make a choice to favor God, surrender my life to Jesus. If you would say, Mel, that's me. I wanna pray for you. If you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it, no matter where you may be? Yeah, thank you on my right. Thank you. Several hands here on my left, I see you. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, Mel, that's me, include me in that prayer. Pray for me today. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony, awesome. Yeah, thank you, ma'am, I see you on my left. Yeah, thank you, sir. Just a few more seconds. Anyone else wanna join these? Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so we're gonna pray a prayer together. I'm gonna say the words, you're gonna repeat them after me, but this is, this is not my prayer, this is your prayer. I'm gonna give you the words to say, but these are your words, praying these words to God. And I want you to understand, this is not about God, just give me salvation. This is about God, I wanna walk in a relationship with you. And so the confession that we are making now with our mouth is a confession of what's actually going to be happening in our lives. And I'm gonna walk with Christ on a daily basis. So importance of what we're doing today. So I just wanna encourage you, everybody in this place, I want you to pray this prayer with me out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your one and only son, 
to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. Use me for your glory. Thank you that today I found your favor. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And maybe you prayed that prayer as a prayer of rededication. Maybe you found yourself off track a little bit and you're trying to get back on track. That's awesome. Uh, Maybe you prayed that prayer today and you've never prayed a prayer like that before. I just want you to know, I'm so proud of you. And here's what I'd like you to do. No matter matter how you responded today, I would love for you to take a minute and either fill out the card in the seat back in front of you and take it to the info center when we finish here in a moment. Or you can text Summit PA to the number 94,000. Summit PA 94000. And then just let us know about your decision by selecting salvation. Um, let us know about that. And then we're gonna help you take the next step in your faith journey. One of our team is gonna be at the info center today. We'd love to talk to you about what's next and how to begin to grow in your faith. Because if you meet somebody for the first time, um, you have to establish relationship and you have to get to know them. And we wanna help you get to know Jesus better. So please help us help you by doing that. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna sing this last song together. And I wanna encourage you while we're singing, um, don't leave, take a few minutes and let's just worship God. Let's hear from the Lord together. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and maybe really plant the word that he's given to you today. And our team's gonna be here at the front of this room. If you need prayer for any reason, some of our staff, some of our uh, past uh, um, prayer team is gonna be here and available. We'd love to pray for you before you leave today. So as we're singing this final song, just make your way up here, find one of them, let them agree with you in prayer. Or even as we're dismissed in a moment, if you wanna find one of them, we would be honored to pray for you before you go, no matter how big or small your need may be. So why don't you stand to your feet? Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. Uh, I tell you often, and I hope you really know I mean it, I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad to be your pastor. I can't wait to worship with you next weekend for Easter. God bless you guys. We'll see you then. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.